welcome to issue 11 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here we take a good look at the most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I'm one of your hosts, Caleb, and joining me tonight is Daniel. Good evening, how are you? And Steve. Hey Caleb, how you doing? Pretty well. You both asked me the same question. I expect better. <laughs> uh, as you should. Hey Steve, real quick, what's on your mind tonight? One simple quote. But these go to 11. Nice. This is our 11th issue. I think that means we've made it. Pretty sure. Cross some barrier. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the he, number 11 is special to me. That is, that? Uh, that is my birthday. Oh, all right. April 11th, coming right up. I hope coming up. This year. Oh, happy birthday. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It could be the 11th when this shows up. I don't know. <laughs> so, well, that'd, be a, that'd be a nice birthday present. Wouldn't it? Let's, yeah. we, could, we could do that. We could make that happen. All right. All right. Cool. So what's going on here, Steve? All right, who so is who is this guy? If people haven't figured it out, tonight we have a special guest villain with us, Mr. Caleb Grace. We'd like to thank you for coming on the show. But we are missing our third regular host, Mustafa. He is sick today and couldn't join us. So we'll be trying. I mean, listeners would know, you know, how he would be approaching this this episode. So we'll we'll try to channel him on occasion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no fear, Caleb. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So, Caleb, why don't you introduce yourself to the fans, tell us uh, a little bit about your history with Marvel Champions, um, just give us that, you know, who you are, song and dance. Sure. Well, uh, I'm one of the three uh, designers for the game. Um, really excited because this is uh, the first game, actually, that I've been able to contribute to the original design. Mm. Uh, the other two lead developers, designers with me are Michael Boggs and Nate French. So the three of us together uh, came up with Marvel Champions. And uh, so I've been working on it from the beginning. And uh, Boggs and I continue to work on it together. Nate has since been promoted. So he's no longer on the design team. He now oversees the design team, which is pretty cool. So that's, that's kind of what I do. I'm every day, all day, uh, Marvel Champions. <laughs> and that, that's got to be a terrible job, let's be honest. <laughs> you know, have well, to design I'll... and play games. Oh. I'll tell you what it's it's not it's not always uh, it's not always what you think it is. Oh, of you know, course. You guys, of course. you guys seen those those Facebook uh, pictures of like what my friends think I do, what my mom think I do. You know, like. Yep, yep. I've seen <laughs> that. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. You know, what I really do. Yeah. yeah. So for a long time, my wife like legit thought that I just play games at work and that it's just always like super lighthearted and fun. And don't get me wrong, there are those times. But honestly, uh, as, as much as I love Marvel Champions and it's been a joy to help design it and work on it, it was a beast to get it done. I, we just had all kinds of behind-the-scenes kind of production and development challenges mm -hmm. um, and a very aggressive schedule. And we're just really happy that it all came together as well as it did. We had some other fantastic people on the team besides those three designers that we have our producers and, and uh, graphic designers and art directors, everybody really pulling together 
to make this thing happen and it wouldn't happen without that whole team effort so there there are times though when everyone cares so much everyone's really passionate about their element of the product and you're under that time crunch that naturally there's friction and some really spirited debates uh, pretty near fights you know sure absolutely some, uh, making the band kind of thing yeah. <laughs> and you're kind of seeing the same stuff over and over right as you're editing and re-editing and all that kind of stuff and so cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here, Caleb. And also, I'd like to thank you for your work on the Lord of the Rings card game that is coming to an end. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, many many people a... who listen to us, but not like an end-end, but like, you know, a sort of official how it's been kind of end. Is that fair to say? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I think it's fair yeah. to say that, uh, that, that we don't know what's going to happen now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a lot, I'm sure a lot of the people in the Marvel community are familiar with or have played Lord of the Rings, the card game, and have enjoyed it. So thank you for all that. Yeah, thank you. Well. It was actually really touching how many people, when we announced Marvel Champions and, and people recognized my name and and said they were excited to try it because they thought I'd done a good job on Lord of the Rings, that, that meant a lot to oh, me. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. Yeah, and it was true as well for Boggs and Nate. You know, Boggs did a fantastic job on Netrunner, and of course Nate's got just a long history of fantastic uh, games that he's helped design so yeah but still all the same yeah it was really touching i wasn't really prepared for that so it means a lot thank you and yep. you know that community keeps going too so hopefully you'll be at con of the rings yep i'll be there excellent excellent uh i had heard that you were working on both at the same time that must have been pretty uh, crazy yeah. yeah that contributed to the stress <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can imagine that was uh, that was something I I hope never to do again. I think <laughs> basically uh, try to sunset one game while launching a new one. Uh, again, thankfully I was I'm just part of the team, so it wasn't like it all rested on my shoulders. Um, but it definitely presented some some unique challenges, and it was pretty exhausting. Mm-hmm. Actually, the year before that was when I was um, helping with the Lord of the Rings adventure card game, the uh, the digital version. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right, yep. So really, it was like year after year there, I was trying to juggle like two large projects at the same time. And, and so it's actually been really nice since like 2020 started. Amid all of its challenges, my workflow at least has settled down uh, to where I'm just working on Marvel Champions along with uh, Boggs. And so things are kind of settling down and we're really getting into a pretty healthy rhythm. And doing a great job. I agree. Let's be honest. Yeah. So we have a whole bunch of questions for you, Cam. We're just probably going to fire them away at you. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Steve. All right. So we'll just start with a very simple one. Uh, Do you read the comics? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then when you say yes, uh, what's your favorite, like, series or group or, you know, what's your favorite one? Uh, Historically or currently? Both. <laughs> uh, historically, I'm an X-Men fan. Um, nice. I'm sure I've said this multiple places already, that uh, Jim Lee's fantastic X-Men number one with Chris Claremont, you know, 1991. Um, that's the book that got me into comics. And uh, I ended up, like, collecting everything Jim Lee did in the 90s, uh, like, late 80s, early 90s. Just whatever he did, I wanted it. So I've been an X-Men fan ever since. I fell in love with those characters and their mythos and 
because I was at such an impressionable age, I think they're just like part of my family now. So I will, I don't necessarily collect all the books, but I try to keep up. And if I, mm -hmm. if I like the book, I'll buy it. Um, when it comes to half price. <laughs> I can't, I can't, comics are an expensive hobby. I can't keep up. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also read X-Men in the 90s, so I, I'm right there with you. I hear you. You remember Executioner's song? You remember that one? I wasn't where we found out huge. That Cable is is Cyclops' son. That was the big reveal. Spoiler, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler from nineteen thirty years ago. <laughs> Next yeah, year, something about Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Yeah, right. like I've always I've always loved the crossovers. They get so many characters involved. Like they're all there. Um, so more currently, I don't know. It'd be hard for me to pick. You know, I, I fell in love with the Avengers kind of late in life. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really have time for them in the 90s or money for them. But since I moved to, to the cities for my job at FFG and discovered Half Price Books, um, collecting comics has been a lot more affordable. <laughs> and with the movies coming out, I started collecting uh, Avengers and really started to get into those characters. So I'm actually staring at my comic book shelf right now trying to think of like, what is it I got into most recently? What was it like the most recent one you read? Yeah. Um, well, they relaunched. They, see, the problem with now how the movies come out, like every year, they try to relaunch the books every year to, to go inside. <laughs> so you're trying to remember, like, which one was it that came out last year? I'll tell you what, though. Probably the Miles Morales Spider-Man book, the Michael Bendis one where he uh, he's now part of the the 616 universe along with Peter Parker and all the other characters you know. That that was a book that caught me by surprise. I ended up collecting that whole run because that was just a lot of fun. So what we're hearing so is you're, you're, you're a pretty yeah, good fan. So you actually know what you're talking about when you design these cards and the source material and stuff. That's little fantastic. bit. That's actually, that's actually one of the bigger challenges for me. Like For some people, the challenge is like to get familiar with the, the stuff. And then for me, I have this other challenge where, like, I'm such a big fan that I have to remind myself that what we're doing is not trying to translate one-to-one -one from the page to the game. Right. And we're just going to capture the essence. And so sometimes, you know, my teammates got to push back and be like, yeah, I understand that's how he is in the comics, Caleb, but, you know, we need to find a unique play style for this guy. You know, stuff like that. Right. That's got to be, I mean, a trick when the characters are so established in, like, at least two other media in a lot of cases right the, sure you know, yeah. someone like iron man or something like that there's the movie identity is so i don't know like so fixed in a way yeah, well, what's I nice about that that's uh, yeah what's nice about the marvel movies though is that they they're so true to the comics for the most part you know some of the details right. change, but the awesome. essence of the character is still so true so whether you're a fan of the books or a fan of the movies captain america is recognizable to either fan group you know, same with Thor and Iron Man and the rest. Right, right. That takes us into our second question, which is your favorite MCU movie or TV series. Ooh, ooh. I haven't been able to watch the, the shows as much. Um, we don't have, like, internet or cable at our house. Just kind of keep it quiet. Um, but the movies, I'm a huge fan. I, I have almost all of them on DVD, and I like to rewatch them. So for me right now, it's a bit of a toss-up between... Infinity War or Winter Soldier. I think both those movies are amazing for different reasons. But in my mind, like I wouldn't change anything about either of those films. 
Just depends if I'm in the mood for an epic or a tight action thriller. Those are good answers because they both really focus in on the villain. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's pretty right. true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was unintended, but it'll work for this cast. So what actor do you think embodies the character best? You know, honestly, I think so many of them do a really, really great job. Like, my first answer is going to be uh, Chris Evans' Captain America, just because I'm such a huge Captain America fan. But there's no denying, like, RDJ just embodies Tony Stark. And, uh, yeah, all these characters. Uh, Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. Uh, that's a fantastic film, and he just nailed it. Um, so did the villain in that movie too. Now, uh, help help me out with the name that plays Killmonger, Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan, uh, yeah. Oh, he's yeah, he's such a great actor in that and Creed. I'm just a huge fan of his now, but he brought so much heart to the role of Killmonger. Well, and we get uh, we get Gollum in that one too, right? Andy Serkis, Claw. Yeah, Andy Serkis's Claw is hilarious. Cross I made it rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so, so much great banter in that scene. So speaking of favorite. You know, or speaking of villain-centric films, who is your all-time favorite villain in in this universe, in the comics, in, in the movies, comics whatever? Like, like, yeah, it's like the best villain, and 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 what makes you think that? Yeah, for me, in the comics, it has to be Magneto. Uh, hmm. Again, just because I'm such an X-Men fan, and Magneto was the he was the villain in that Jim Lee comic that I was talking about. Uh, you know, that the first three issues, it's this huge conflict between Magneto and the X-Men. And uh, I think what really struck me, uh, even as a kid, is that Magneto kind of had a point. You know, like he had some really, really good points to make about why he was doing what he was doing. Um, so it wasn't so much that you couldn't sympathize with him or understand his point, it's that you just wish he'd, he'd quit killing people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe maybe try to find a more peaceful solution, but of course that's the conundrum, you know, is that the argument is that the peace was getting them nowhere and they have to fight for what they want. Right. Well that's been a lot of the fun that we've been having on, on this particular cast where we're actually researching the villains and mm -hmm. finding out that they're pretty dynamic and interesting characters in their own right in their own right. And it's they're they're more complicated than no, oh, but that's the point. Like they the backstories of these guys are Fascinating. Like I recently did Killmonger, and it's like, wow, okay, so a lot yeah. going on here. Yeah. Now finish yeah. your Magneto point. Oh, just the the fact that he, you know, in the in the comics lore, you know, he's a Holocaust survivor. You know, he, he uh, he's already seen uh, his people, you know, persecuted and and murdered in that. And so when he finds out that he's a mutant, and mutants are being persecuted, he's like. Yeah, I'm never gonna let anything like that happen again, and mm -hmm. uh, that just makes him so relatable that you you just understand where he's coming from. Oh, totally. Yeah, I thought yeah. they did a pretty good job with the the rebooted versions of the X Men, making you sympathize with Magneto and understand him. I I, I like those. Yeah. So I'm actually I'm actually not a huge fan of the the X Men films. I don't I don't feel like they really capture the spirit of the books very well. Um, so Patrick Stewart Picard, he he played. Professor X, and okay. I have to say, he was, he was a brilliant casting choice for Professor X. It's hard to imagine anyone else doing a, a better job in that role. But really, I always felt that um, Ian McKellen, yeah, I think he's a great actor, but I think he was really miscast uh, for Magneto. 
uh, at least for the Magneto that I'm familiar with in the books. He, Magneto in the books is like, he's not just, you know, the master of magnetism and, you know, uh, Charles Xavier's old friend. He's actually really intimidating. Like physically, he's a, he's a strong man. He's an intimidating figure. Mm. And I just never got that from Ian McKellen. You know, Ian McKellen just kind of, at his age, he kind of looks like if you push him hard, he'll fall over. <laughs> yeah no that's why i thought the um the first class version of magneto was uh michael fassbender there did a better yeah. job yeah yeah he was definitely closer to to what i imagine sort of the physique i just got so distracted in first class when he kept shifting between trying to do german versus like an irish accent yeah, <laughs> yeah. from one to the next <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I'd be excited for when uh, when Marvel Studios eventually does some X Men movies. I'll be really excited to see what the X Men look like on the big screen when they're handled by people who really cherish the comic stories and the lore behind them. Sure. Yeah. So let's hit you with another question here. Uh, we're gonna get into the game a little bit. How about your yeah. favorite villain encounter set combo, like when we're when we're playing? Okay, that's that's harder because now I have to try to remember. Like, all right, what's what's been revealed already? Um, <laughs> are we talking about um, villains or or uh, just generic like modular encounter sets? Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, both. I was thinking like, what villain do you like to play with? Which modular encounter set? You know, we have uh, the the core set, Green Goblin. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, uh, so this is part of the working frantically to, to get all of this done on time and, and just invested in each one. It's like you like each one for a different reason, and they also kind of start to blur together. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I will say I, I was excited about the, the Wrecking Crew because it's such a unique scenario. Use the standard deck or any other modular sets because of its split deck nature. Um, I love that you're fighting four villains instead of just one and that the active villain can change. So I had a lot of fun developing that one and, and playing that one. Okay. That is a, a, a super awesome design. It is a lot of fun to play. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people online have been saying how it's too easy and I'm like, I don't remember it being that easy when I was, uh, when I was playtesting it. Um, but I, I tend, when I'm playtesting, I tend to focus on the, uh, the pre-constructed decks um, just because the, the audience that, that we're trying to capture, um, we don't expect everyone is, is custom building. So we expect for a lot of people, the pre-con might be the only deck that they ever play. And we want to make sure that's a really fun experience. And I have playtesters who are really hungry to deck build and right. customize. And so I tend to let them focus on that but even they were saying that it was plenty hard on like expert mode so i, I don't know what happened there <laughs> well i mean you know our not so secret agenda on this cast is that we think the game is too easy and want the villains to be stronger but mm -hmm. in real life i'm curious about like is there any data to the back like to to say like what percentage of the player base is casual and just sort of yeah picks up the picks up a captain america pack and just plays the game versus the nerdy nerds who are a little more vocal about it. You know? I wish we had. Like, there's really not that many that. people who are saying it's hard, probably, or, or that it's too easy. I bet yeah, most I, people it's a fun 
even Stephen game, right? Right. Yeah. It's it's always it's always hard to tell because we don't really have any hard data to show one way or the other. Sure. So we have to use just kind of a lot of like deductive reasoning and kind of common sense. Like, you know, the places where you'll find people saying it's too easy is primarily online uh, through yep. Facebook groups or various board game forums. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, like, what is the average uh, gamer look like who's going online and posting these things and um, you find a lot of them are solo players because they're looking for that community because they don't have it locally that's not mm -hmm. true for everyone but for a lot of people okay. um, again these these are not I'm not trying to label people or say that this is hard fact this is how it is my experience with Lord of the Rings kind of kind of showed me a lot of this to be roughly true like, like I said not everyone who's posting online plays exclusively solo far from it but I think a lot of solo players who are really into games gravitate to the internet as a place to share ideas and, and build community. So I think right. a lot of your more casual players who are just playing at the kitchen table for fun and, you know, if they have a rules question, they just kind of decide whatever they want to do and they don't even think to go online and ask a rules question. They just right. play it however they want to play it. So you never hear from them online. Right. So for every comment we read online, we have to kind of temper it with, well, what about the people that aren't posting online? And so we're trying to reach those people in other ways, like, you know, we have friends with kids and other people that are playing the game. Right. And so we're asking them, we're asking coworkers, our local awesome. testers. Yeah, so we get, like, it's, uh, it's basically our best guess. We try to make it as educated as possible. Uh, I always you think have... of it like a valve curve. Right, There's always Absolutely. going to be people at either extreme end, where some people it will never be hard enough for them, some people will always be too hard. But if we can capture the majority of the audience where everyone's like, yeah, it presents a good challenge. It keeps me engaged. It's is it fun? Yeah, is, is it, it fun? fun? I guess yeah. that's all that really matters. Ultimately. But I think uh, your new heroic mode uh, ramps up the difficulty for those people who want a harder challenge. So you know, I'm 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 glad you brought that up um, because that was something. Yeah, it is important to us. Like like I said, even if people have extreme opinions. They're still our audience. We're still trying to want to make them happy, want to keep them engaged. So for people that thought it was too hard, we try to do rookie mode here. Just beat the first villain and you win. Uh, for people who think it's too easy here, reveal two cards instead of one. That'll definitely make it harder. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. But it was interesting because some people then were saying, oh, but it's so swingy. I wish they had introduced a new kind of card or mechanic. And I just wanted to speak to that quick. Um, we, we, that wasn't an option. <laughs> we can do future products where we put more stuff out for that, but we were looking for a, how can we address this now? You know, like what can we do right now to right. Uh, to to offer people who want it to be sort of official in a way to challenge themselves. Right. So it and, had and to be something that required no new product. Right. So do you think one of our questions later on was, will we? Do you think we would see a product similar to a, a return to or a nightmare version for this game? It's too early to say. Um, I don't know how the how successful the Arkham ones are, but the Lord of the Rings ones eventually were were basically discontinued because uh, it's just the the profit margin wasn't there. Yeah, the collector in me is just crying over not having them all. <laughs> oh yeah, especially yeah, for the saga. Like that was the big one for me. <sighs> I was like, oh, I want to finish out the saga. Finish the saga. It, it just stings. And, and maybe that's something, maybe that's something we'll be able to revisit in the future. I, I, I don't know. 
Um, but when you look at LCG, when you look at the market as a whole, because we all love the game so much, we forget that it's part of this really competitive market where, you know, mm, Magic right. the Gathering takes up half of everyone's attention already, and then there's just every other game fine for that other 50%. And so LCGs have, as a group, kind of carved out a niche, and within that group you have different LCGs. But when you're talking about a product that modifies another product, you're basically talking about a niche of a niche of a niche, you know what I mean? Right, like, sure, yeah. sure. But we still want it, but we still want it. <laughs> Ten people buy the main game, and one people one person will buy the uh, nightmare version. It, it, you know, a single standalone super expert mode. Put all these cards in, off you go. That modifies well, every scenario. And you know, the, the folks who are you know who want more challenge or whatever, like, are probably gamers enough to f- figure out some all, their own systems to tweak this game for difficulty and stuff. Like, well, and, and that's something, that, yeah. too, that, we, you know, we take all that feedback, and as we're moving forward and designing new products, you know, we're trying to learn as we go. Like, it was, yeah, this was something not really controversial, but, you know, it, if you understand the spirit behind it, but something I said when, when I submitted um, The Rise of Red Skull, you know, for review. So it was our first story box. You know, it's, it's a big deal. We, we had a lot, of, a lot of excitement about this game, and this is, like, you know, scenarios are what drive the game. This is where you get your scenarios. So here it is, a lot of eyes on this product. And uh, when it was all approved and, and everyone agreed it was ready to go and to ship, and they're like, hey, good job, you know, and we're very grateful. And I said, it, it's good to know that this is honestly, this is this is the worst it will ever get. <laughs> like, like, and, it, and it kind of a funny kind of, like every set is going to get better because we're going to learn and, and grow. So like Rise of Red Skull is great. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's the worst ever because it's bad. Because we're going to learn. Like, me and Box, we've been on this game for a little over a year or maybe a year. I don't know how long it's been now. Time has lost all meaning. (laughs) Even more so recently, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. But when there are no longer days of a week. So, yeah. Yeah, as we go, we're taking feedback from our audience, from our testers, and and we're also discovering, you know, new... um, things within the game that we can design around. And so, yeah, I think people should expect that the game's only going to get better as it goes. And and that means hopefully more nuanced kind of difficulties and, and replayability in, in ex, you know, surprising places, stuff like that. So to touch on that, one, one thing you brought up, how far ahead are you guys on, like, development and playtesting and that sort of thing? Oh, as far as we can get which uh, is getting better as we go. Like I said, everything leading up to 2020 felt like we were kind of laying track for this oncoming train. Okay. You know, um, like, like I said, there's so many things that have to come together to get a game you know, to, to your store. And, and really happy with how it came together. But now that it's 2020 and things are kind of, like we're, we've, we've settled into a comfortable rhythm and that's allowing us to start to look ahead a little further. So one of the things that I was asked to do was like, come up with a line plan, you know, kind of map out the future of the game. Like, uh, like here, to peel back the curtain for a minute a little bit about, like, working on Lord of the Rings, when I first started on that game, um, it was very much a cycle-by-cycle cycle kind of approach. Like, you know, uh, my first cycle I worked on was the Against the Shadow cycle. And as that was starting to wrap up, they were like, okay, give us a pitch for the next cycle, what you'd like to do in the next cycle. And so, you know, I wrote a pitch for the voice of Isengard and the Ringmaker cycle and 
worked with Christian Peterson on that. And, and that's kind of how it was when I first started working at FFG. It was kind of like, just focus on what's in front of you and then come up with a plan for that. At least that's how it was on Lord of the Rings. I can't speak to the whole company and whatever other product. Right. But with Marvel, we're doing a little different where it's not just, okay, well, we're done with the first set. What should we do next? We're actually mapping it out, you know, so that we have uh, a plan. It helps that we can show it to, uh, to Marvel so they can see where we're going and they can say, hey, we like, we like what we see. It helps on the design so that as we're thinking about, hey, does this card really belong in this set? Actually, I think we should hold on to it, save it for that set. It helps us to pick our heroes and our villains. Um, so it just feels really good overall. It feels like a very healthy approach to designing the game. And that, that plan, I don't think I can say how far it goes, but it's, it's a matter of years. It's not just like, uh, you know, well, I hope, you know, we can get through the you know, 2021. It's like, uh, right, right. this game's got some legs. And, and even then that plan isn't like a final thing. It's like up for reevaluation, you know, like when we get there. That's interesting. So, so, yeah. so something I've never really totally understood about this whole process of designing games with these types of licenses is and you said like running it by Marvel, how involved are they in a game about their universe? Or is it um, more of an advise and consent kind of thing? Well, so anytime you work with uh, an intellectual property that belongs to someone else, you're going to have an approval step. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at, at uh, FFG, we, we've worked with, um, George R. R. Martin on Game of Thrones, with Lucasfilm on Star Wars, Middle Earth Enterprise on Lord of the Rings, and and now with Marvel for uh, Marvel Champions. And uh, my experience has been really good. I worked on, like I said, worked on Lord of the Rings for like eight years. I got to meet uh, people from Middle Earth Enterprise when they came to visit the studio one time. That was oh, after wow. I'd been on the game. Yeah, I'd already been on the game for like five years at that point or something. But with Marvel, I actually got to fly out to. Uh, Los Angeles with Andrew Navarro, who was our head of studio at the time. So we, I, I was hoping we, when we got the Marvel license, that meant I was going to go to New York and see the, the Marvel Comics headquarters. But uh, because this is a licensing thing, uh, Disney has like all their licensing offices, it sounds like, in Los Angeles. And so there's someone who handles Marvel there. And so we got to go out there and actually pitch them the game. That's why I went with, was to actually demo the game and teach them how to play and show them what we were after um so that was fun uh, and they they were really into it like they weren't all of them gamers but they they saw like okay this is this is more than just slapping recognizable characters on something that doesn't feel like marvel they saw we're really invested in the characters and the lore and uh yeah everything we do has to be submitted ahead of time to get approvals hmm. nothing nothing goes to print until Marvel has signed off on it, and by and large, they've been good uh, good to work with. Have they crumpled up any of your evil blueprints yet and said, start over, or anything like that? <laughs> no, no, there's definitely, there's definitely gonna be, there's always gonna be points of feedback. A lot of times it relates to art, or uh, mostly it's gonna be art, because right. um, like we're not gonna do anything too crazy in the stories, they could certainly come back and surprise me at some point. Like I submit all the story ideas that we're gonna do, all of our scenarios in the campaign box, they're, they're linked together to tell one continuous story. And so we need them to sign off on that and they'll provide feedback and be like, yes, you can use this character. No, we prefer use this one instead. Um, this character can't do that because they couldn't do it in the comics, you know, stuff like that. Oh, um, wow, okay. Yeah, not not too much because I know I know the comics really well. So sometimes though we're you know we're trying to 
bend the lore in our story in an interesting way, just like they do in the comics, right? Like normally, you know, normally Captain America couldn't punch out the Hulk, right? This is an example that's not in the game. It's just an example. Like normally Captain America couldn't punch out the Hulk, but say someone wrote a story where Captain America got like the power cosmic, like the Silver Surfer, and then he beat up the Hulk, you know? <laughs> so sometimes you have to right. explain, like, <laughs> you have to explain the context of like, well, this is why. Like, yes, I agree with you, but this is why. And so but those are conversations that our licensed team actually have. Like, I don't, I don't do that directly. Yeah, because going back and trying to like research a villain, you'll find three different storylines or they rewrote something at one point or there's an amazing Spider-Man and a stupendous Spider-Man. So right, or, yeah, or three people have been that villain. The same name, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, that's, so that's what's funny. That's actually... Um, we were talking about like my history with comics and, and the fact that I've been like a basically a comic book nerd since I was 13. And I remember in high school, it was like you didn't admit in public that you read comic books. You know, you had to kind of like keep that to yourself. You yep. know? Um, and uh, so for me, it's always just been a hobby and a passion. And I just think it's so ironic that it turned out to be sort of a job asset because now specifically that point you just made, you can go online. There's like a great wiki for Marvel. It's like fandom.com yep. or something. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you can look up any character. And we do this for every character. We, we research like, okay, what's their history, their powers, their affiliation, and so on. Um, and you can do that. But if you don't know the, the comics history very well, you can totally get misled. Where I think uh, Captain Marvel, for example, when we were developing the core set, uh, Captain Marvel is a character I really enjoy. Um, I started reading her comics like more recently, and you know she'd been she'd appeared in X Men and she'd appeared in some Avengers comics I already had. Uh, but when we were going to do her for the core, I thought oh, I'm going to read up on some of her titles. And so we're looking through her fandom page though, and her fandom page mentioned something about like uh, precognition. And I was like, precognition? I don't remember her ever being able to see the future. Like, like, she yeah. mostly, like harnesses energy and fires blasts of energy on her hands and she flies and she's near and vulnerable. But I don't remember anything about her having mental powers. Well, yeah, there was like maybe one story where like one time the writer decided she should have like a flash of precognition. And then whoever wrote this wiki, because it's all like fan made, decided to add that one little bit. And so if you're a designer who doesn't know the lore, you might decide... Oh, that's a cool power. Let's give her a precognition card. And then you might have some Captain Marvel fans who get the, the, the deck and go, what is that about? <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's kind of sometimes that's been my job is to clarify like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah. OK, precognition. Yeah, she had that like in one panel in one issue. Like that's not part of her normal power set. But I don't I mean, there's Marvel's got so many characters. I don't know all of them. So I'm learning things, too. So with that, how do you uh, how do you determining who your next characters are, who your next villain is? That's actually one of the more fun parts of, of my job. Boggs and I together um, we're we're designing this game as a team, but I'm a little more familiar with uh, with the Marvel line as a whole. Like when I talked about that, you know, sort of that vision plan for looking down the road, that was something I was tasked with. That I was asked to to write this and I'm bouncing these ideas off Boggs and getting his feedback too. But that's, yeah, that's pretty much that's on us is to come up with, uh, you know, what do we think would be an exciting trajectory for the game and what heroes fit with, uh, with the story we're trying to tell. 
uh, I really can't get into that too much more without like giving things away that I can't give away yet. No, no, no. Oh, no, that's fine. We'll never, we'll never ask those questions. That's oh. no, that's okay. But basically, <laughs> tell us everything. Basically, it's to say like, like I can use Rise of Red Skull as an example. We've we've already spoiled all five villains from the box. You know, um, Red Skull and a lot of Hydra, you know, villains. Taskmaster and Crossbones. Uh, Absorbing Man's kind of the wild card in there. He's sort of been hired by them in this situation. And, and then Zola. And so if these are the people you're going to be fighting, then just thematically you're like, okay, well, who are the heroes that we want to see fight these villains? You know, um, for example, it, it might be weird if we decided uh, we're going to do, you know, a bunch of Asgardians in this set. You'd be like, I wonder how they chose to do Asgardians when all the villains are Hydra. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so I was really proud of our choices for the box with Hawkeye and Spider-Woman because these are two heroes with a, a long history of, of fighting Hydra. And uh, hopefully, too, once you guys are able to get the box and open up the rules and see the story that we've crafted inside, then hopefully it makes even more sense, you know, why we chose the heroes that we did. But basically, we want to... We want to pick the people that we more or less think that fans would expect to see when fighting these villains. I like that we actually get six villains and only one hero because Spider-Woman's a double agent, right? She works for us <laughs> villains. She has at times, though right. usually begrudgingly. <laughs> well, she's that one hero that us at, at our Critical Encounters we can get behind. Yeah, we sure. She is our favorite hero. Yeah. There you go. No, I, I, and I think, too, that box and that choice of story kind of ties it so nicely back to the core set and kind of reinfuses life into those cards as well. And You know, like, the Hydra minions are always going to matter. Like, that's... Yeah, actually, that we was... Lo we love that here at Critical. That's right. That was actually one of my uh, my favorite things about... The, it's it just the, the, the nerdy designer in me is just really excited uh, about the fact that we put the uh, Madame Hydra modular set into the core box as kind of like just an add-on along with Modoc, you know, so like, all right, you beat Rhino once, now go back and trade out the bomb scare for Madame Hydra, you know. Right. Just seems yep. like kind of like a throwaway thing, but she's actually then part of, you know, one of the scenarios in, in the box. Oh. Where it's like, you know, you and so she's actually in the story. And it's like, oh that's awesome. Oh that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, we uh, we reviewed her, so maybe we'll get to come back to her again. That'll be fun. Cool. And we liked her. We're, we're, we were positive, weren't we? Yeah, we like that Legions of Hydra yeah. set. That's fun. Oh, she, yeah, she's awesome. Aren't, doesn't she come with the, the minions that, like, if you defeat one, you have to, like, deal yourself a card? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was my favorite little cut-off-one-head, you know, another-take-its-place kind of moment. Yeah, perfect theme. You, you seem to always hit that just right. Thank you. Well, that's uh, that's what I that's what I try. That's my favorite part about designing games based off of properties that I love is trying to capture that feeling. So in that moment when you play a card, it feels like the character that it represents. Mm -hmm. Well, can we let's talk a little bit more about the design process of uh, these encounter sets, these nemesis sets, and these modular sets. How do you figure out and make the decisions that you do to like here's a five card or six card? set that's going to change the game in in whatever way it does like what's your design principle when when going at these things well that is you know i mentioned earlier about how we're still learning right and and mm -hmm. getting used to to working on this game 
And that's one of the biggest things for me coming from Lord of the Rings that, that I'm trying to adjust my approach. Um, with Rise of Red Skull in particular, I, I think for me, my initial focus was always like the scenario as a whole, right? Like Crossbones was the first scenario I designed for that box. And so I was very much like, okay, what is the crossbow scenario going to be? What's the hook? What makes it different from everything else? And it's not till like all the scenarios are done that then I went back mm -hmm. and started going, oh, oh, I need to carve some sets out of these. Like, and this, this product needs to have modular sets too. And so I start carving up some of the carving cards out of Crossbones deck and out of Taskmasters and making them their own sets. So it was very much like a scenario first kind of approach with, with a couple exceptions. Uh, one of the reasons we were able to fit five scenarios in the box is that we knew right away, like, hey, if all the villains are Hydra, then we can make just a couple sort of generic Hydra uh, modular sets that can be used throughout the five, you know, so that it's oh, not okay. always the yep. one, but it's going to save a lot of cards. It's going to make it possible to get more scenarios. So we, we knew those, but um, looking back, though, as the game now is coming, because we started working on that, I don't, I don't know how long. Um, it feels like so much of what we were working on, we were working on it before the core set was even public. So we hadn't really had any right. customers. Right. Right. So once it comes out and people start talking about how excited they are about the different modular sets and how much they enjoy mixing up the encounter deck and trying different combinations, we realized, like, oh, there's there's people really like that we need to we need to really focus in more on that like that was one of the things when green goblin came out right away people were like oh and it comes with a couple new modular sets now i can go back and play rhino and give him a goblin glider and that's hilarious yeah that's that's <laughs> been fun really yeah people really yeah. warmed up to that like kind of caught me by surprise i really want to give credit to uh to nate for really pushing for the modular stuff in the first place and i think boggs for really reminding me like constantly he seemed to he seemed to understand the potential there, uh, maybe before me. I might have been a slow learner. I well, might have been was the one last of your was one of your worries the thematic impact that they have? No, that was or... something uh, that I that I consented to very very early on. Um, okay, I was always a little more guarded about the Lord of the Rings theme because Lord of the Rings is a slightly more serious uh, universe. You know where mm -hmm. you know wacky things don't quite happen so randomly. Right. Um, not that wacky things don't happen, but they don't seem to happen in the total random way. We're like, Marvel is built on this. Marvel is all about mashing different characters together and just, you know, surprising things happening. And basically right. our mantra is no matter how crazy we get, we can never out crazy what's already in the books. <laughs> right, right. I like that. <laughs> like, like there's some crazy stuff in the books, so... Um, no, I don't, I don't feel too uptight about that. One of our core values for the game is uh, irreverent humor, you know, that the game is supposed to be cheeky and funny. And, sure. And, and so, yeah, we're just embracing that. You know, like one of the, one example of that is like uh, the Yarnbjorn um, axe that came in Thor's pack. Mm -hmm. um, you guys know the one I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like, Originally, if I was gonna, if that was like a Lord of the Rings card, I would be like, "Oh, this only attaches to an Asgardian." You know, like you have to have the strength right. of a god to wield this thing. You know, but in Marvel, it's like, 
No, man, anybody can have an axe. If if Hawkeye wants to trade in his bow for a giant, you know, God-killing axe, I can see that happening in the comics. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, man, they really are fun to do. So getting back to the encounter sets thing, what I'm trying to do moving forward is really look at, like, when I'm doing the initial design work, looking at the scenarios and the encounter sets um, slightly more equal. I think the scenarios still come first because the villains are the real headliners. Right. But but also from the start really going, okay, where are my modular encounter sets? And uh, not just carving them out because I think when I carve them out, they, they don't necessarily have a, a strong enough identity of their own. Maybe they mm-hmm. just feel a little more random. And But if I do them ahead of time, if I say like, okay, this is going to be my modular set. What's interesting about it? Then taking it out of the scenario and putting it in another one has a much more vibrant impact. You know, it's really going to affect how it plays. Like Bomb Scare, I think, is actually a really good example of that. Bomb Scare has a real solid identity of, hey, there's this side scheme. It's like a bomb's going to explode. And, you know, you, you play with it. It's maybe not the most difficult one, but it has a pretty strong identity. Sure. Uh, so we're trying to look for, you know, more ways like that. So I'm going to channel our third missing host here for a minute. How how come you guys hate the villains so much, though, that they don't get, like, a little graphic image in the corner, and we don't get as much uh, flavor text for them, uh, and they just keep getting beat up by the heroes? <laughs> well, the beat up by the heroes, I mean, you're the ones playing, so if you want the villains to win, you know. Okay, that's on us. All right. <laughs> that's your fault. All right. Um Build different decks, Steve. That's our takeaway there. I I think the flavor text, we we really do try to put flavor text on the villains that sometimes we just run out of space. You know, space is really a premium in a card game. And one of our goals with Marvel is really not to overcrowd the text box. Um, Like, if you look at Lord of the Rings and some of the stuff I designed for Lord of the Rings and look at it compared to Marvel, it's like I'm using half the words. You know, <laughs> really trying to keep it much more simple so that it's very easy to pick up and play. Uh, and so just not crowding the text box. And that sometimes that, that includes leaving flavor off where, where with Lord of the Rings, like I wanted to put a quote on everything because I just love the book right. so much. Yeah, yeah. This card represents this moment. I need to get the quote on there. And when I look back, I'm like, that's a really crowded text box. I probably could have left the flavor off of it. Uh, we, we all love that, though. <laughs> Cool, cool. I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it because with Marvel, it's, it's more of a concession of like, we don't want people to just look at every card and see every card just full of text because that's intimidating. Um, you want to be able to look at some cards that just have like one line. That's all they do. They just do this thing. And you go, oh, cool. I know what that does. And that allows you a few exceptions where you're like, oh, Hawkeye's Quiver has kind of this two-part effect and I'm willing to read it because the rest of his arrows are pretty easy to pick up on. So there is there is a lot of kind of consideration that goes into that and as far as the stuff in the corner that's uh, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know <laughs> i think i think it's more important for the heroes because the heroes are being sorted out in your collection or whatever yeah, totally. they get all the love they get all the love <laughs> <laughs> it's because they get lost without it the villains are more organized no they're fine oh, okay all right i mean one i mean that makes me think of Something in all these LCGs I've never understood is just how the whole art process works. Like, oh, yeah? How you shop for artists, how you get 
things like in this game you know, like there are some that are uncredited right because steve you'd pointed out that right some of the art is just directly from comics yeah i had heard that if we don't right. see an artist credit that means you guys just took a panel from some art somewhere uh, a book somewhere is that true? Oh yeah, if you're gonna you're gonna do a game based on Marvel Comics. You're gonna want to get some of that sweet Marvel comic art in there. Oh, absolutely! Like that Winter I mean, Soldier art. If you're, if you're cynical, you could say it's a money saving thing because it is. No one's gonna lie and be like, oh no, it, it costs us so much to use free art. Um, but it's not just like that. It's the fact that it's the best art in the world. It's the best comic book art. Sure. That's why I read Marvel Comics because they have amazing art. You know. Um, so absolutely you're gonna to want to use it. But I'll tell you what, like I could answer all this, but I also feel too like maybe you guys wanna reach out to our art director at some point and ask them about their job because uh I would uh, absolutely Garcia, love that. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like I, I gotta leave room for my coworkers to uh Sure. To, yeah. to, to I mean I've just always been curious about that. Like how did this piece of art get on this card and like how do how do artists out there even find these gigs? Like I yeah, no, there's, there's some cool yeah. stories to be told there, I'm sure. My part of yeah. it is just Boggs and I, we come up with the card list and we decide which cards we think we need to order original art for versus which ones we're pretty sure we can find. Some mm -hmm. some pickup is what we call it. We call it pickup art. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I'll say because I think... Um, oh, that's great. Thank you. She might want to answer and if she doesn't, you guys can always ask me to come back on and talk about it more. Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so let's let's do some sillier ones here. Uh, let's imagine that you are a Marvel hero. Which okay. Marvel villain is just so cool you would be happy to get beat up by them? <laughs> I'm just imagining like who are the most attractive female right now? <laughs> like uh, I I wouldn't be upset losing to the Enchantress or okay. the White Queen. You know, like, you're like, okay, you got me. <laughs> That's fair. Those are fair answers. That's totally fair. <laughs> so in, in reverse a little bit along those lines, what hero that's already in the game do you kind of secretly like hearing about that they've been getting thrashed by villains? Oh, getting like, thrashed? Oh. Yeah, like if you – because remember, you're a villain here, Caleb. Sure, sure. You, you even said off air that these the, the villain cards are the ones that matter, right? Isn't that what you said? That's Something true. Like that. With all yeah. the villain cards, there is no game. Yeah. Who are you, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, if if you know a hero gets beat up, who do you who do you want it to be in this game? You're like, oh, good. Mm. I, I like hearing <laughs> Iron Man getting taken down a peg. Tony Stark. Yeah, I'm glad good. you said that. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, he's up there with all of his millions. He could be, you know, investing in local public schools. You know, he could be paying off people's, uh, you know lunch debt instead he's building expensive armor and flying nice. around and showing off yeah and getting loved for it like yeah right it's disgusting <laughs> good I'm, I'm glad you chose the right answer yeah <laughs> yeah so let's hit another one here if uh if you could bring in any villain from the dc universe which one would you think you'd want to bring in oh my gosh oh my gosh oh man well I mean, Joker would be hilarious, you know, from, uh, I'm thinking, like, the Batman animated series, Mark Hamill, Joker. Yeah, okay. We had some good antics with, with him. I don't know. Most of my favorite DC villains are Batman villains. They're the only ones I even know. Yeah, me too, so <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so Yeah, I was thinking, like, that. that's such an obvious answer. I was trying to think if there was, a, like, a more 
interesting one, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we do a scenario around the Riddler and like every, the whole scenario is you have to answer riddles. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Beautiful. You got treacheries like when revealed, riddle me this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you answer correctly, you know, you avoid a penalty. If you answer wrong, then you lose. <laughs> so we know we can't ask you questions about the future so much, but um, Aaron Fishbaugh from Cardboard of the Rings, I, I'd said, you know, we got Caleb on tonight. Throw, to, throw some questions here if you, and we'll try to get them answered. He says, the people want, or should I say demand, a Dazzler hero pack. How soon can we expect that on store shelves? <laughs> I would I would love that. Like I said, I'm a huge X-Men fan, and yeah. Dazzler is actually one of those like underrated characters. She was like big in the 80s and then just fell way off. Um, but there was like an X-Men book that I picked up, and I was so excited to get it because like Dazzler was back on the team. And I just think that she's uh, she's a lot of fun. So of course, being an X Men fan, I would I would love to do all the X Men. Um, awesome. But we'll just have to see. We'll have to see what the. So we'll tell are. Aaron. We'll report back twenty, thirty, or so. Did you ever play <laughs> in the nineties? Did you play any arcade games? The four man X Men game, where like you could have Dazzler in it. I swear she was in oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that. Wasn't that one actually like uh, there were two different versions? It was four player and there was like full on six player, wasn't there? Oh, I just remembered going to Chuck E. Cheese and playing the four player one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, one of my one of my strongest memories uh, from that young age was uh, was like a overnight, like you know, you you go to summer camp, but then sometimes during the year they would do like summer camp get-togethers, you know, for like an overnight. Uh, so we did that. We went to the local arcade. And me and my friends just dumped money into that X-Men archive. We played through the whole game. Like, we actually made it to Asteroid M and beat Magneto. And we felt like superheroes that night. That was awesome. Yeah. That was worth the $80 in quarters. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It was when you, when you had, like, a dollar a week of lunch money to spend it. Yeah, totally. Right. All your birthday money. All your Christmas money. We got some kind of deal because we were, like, some large group. We, like, took over the whole place. I think we got some some uh some coins with that and then yeah probably threw in some money of our own too so yeah, can we go back to a little bit of uh, of some design questions we i'm looking over our yeah, notes good. here we skipped a few things that i know uh, we're definitely here at critical encounters uh very curious about the modular sets and the side schemes and how you determine whether they get sort of a static threat or a per player threat like for example oh. doomsday yeah. chair just gets eight and some other ones are three per player those sort of things Sure, sure. Um, so with stuff in like the, the core set, I think you could chalk part of it up to experimentation. Okay. You know, like um, we are making this game up as we go and we're trying to see what's exciting and exploring different design spaces. Um, what am I trying to think of? Like the, isn't there the, the, the Miss Marvel uh, nemesis? Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. Comes with that big robot, right? Right. Yeah. Does that have ten hit points? No, yeah, it's just like huge, right? Yep. But it's not per player. It's just boom. Here you go. Just a lot of hit points, and uh, and that's exciting. Like just, so, there's there's something of um, just like a visceral, kind of emotional response to seeing big numbers. You're just like, whoa, you know, like, and also the simplicity of I don't have to do any math. You know, what's what's four per player here? Like, no, it's just eight. There you go. <laughs> no one wants to do math. 
you bring up minions, right? Like Edison's giant robot, that's the one you're thinking of. Eight health. Yeah. Uh, Modok, eight health. Tombstone, nine health. But we haven't seen any minions that gain health per player. We have villains who get health per player, but not minions. Is that, you know, come over your desk an idea yeah, for I that? Think it, I think it's fair to say that you will probably see minions with, with per player health at some point. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm talking about what, earlier when I'm saying how, like, we're just discovering, like, all the design space in the game. You know, like, it really needed, we really needed things to just kind of settle down a little bit. Sure. So that it was, it was less about meeting the deadline, and now it's more about, okay, we, we've we've got a few of these under our belt now. We know what we need to do to meet our deadlines. We know what we need to do to make a good product. Um, it, it's like um, I, I, I compare it to, like, because I live in, in Minnesota and we get big winters here and lots of snow. It's like shoveling a, a path. So when you're trying to get down the sidewalk after a <laughs> blizzard, it takes a lot of work. you got to shovel this path, and it's exhausting. It takes forever. But when you walk back across that path, it's nothing. Because right. you've already blazed your trail. Sure. And that's what it is like designing for a, a game for the first time. It's like shoveling that path. It's a lot of work to, to figure out the nuances of the game, to try to strike a balance in the design and um, get familiar with it. But once you've got that, now you're walking over that path that you've made for yourself. And it's much easier. And because of that, you're able to sort of take in your surroundings a little bit and start to look for that design space. And so, yeah, I think... I think um, I think players will start to notice things like you said, like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if there was a minion like this or a science game sure. like that? And and, and, and uh, early on, you don't want a thousand triggers and stuff. Like, yeah. Right. That makes Time counters. and <laughs> like, like, It's nice to build onto, onto things at a, a slow pace, especially a game like this where, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the design principle was this wasn't meant to be a super hard game to learn. Correct. Right. Right. So. And, that's, and moving forward, too, that's something that uh, we're holding ourselves accountable as as we look for new design right. space. And, you know, we allow for there might be additional complexity in different designs. But overall, we really still want to keep it, you know, accessible. Um, maybe some products more than others, you know, sure. like, like Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew, there's a bit of a learning curve. There is some complexity there, having four villains in play. So hopefully that's, uh, for people that are worried that we're always going to keep it too simple, hopefully that's an encouraging sign of like, no, they're going to experiment. We're going to try a different thing. And as the first thing out of the gate, too, like that was nice to see, like, oh, there's a lot of space here to play with. Yeah, that was really encouraging to read those comments online, people going, wow, look what they're doing. This is so different from anything else we've seen. And then Goblin with the... flipping identity of Norman Osborn. They're yeah. like, oh, that's, that's really different too. And so, yeah, we're really, those are kind of the reactions we're looking for. So that's really encouraging. As a, like for both, I probably speak for Daniel on this too, as long time Lord of the Rings players, I trust you guys to put out fun stuff. I, <laughs> Absolutely. Right? I mean, we've seen it already and some oddball yeah. scenarios here and there that are great to play that aren't the norm. You know, maybe this one's really difficult or this one has some weird, unique thing, but that's what makes it, an interesting change to play against. It's not every single scenario is going to have these time counters or whatever crazy thing it is, but having those choices and those options is always a lot of fun. Well, that's that's cool. That's really encouraging. I have to remind myself time sometimes. This game's only been out like officially like five months, and there's a ton of content. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of options. 
I never really thought about it that way. Right? <laughs> Only been out fun. since November, so. Right. Well, and that's that's uh, actually yeah. I'm. You guys are just being really generous, and I appreciate it. That's uh, that's exactly what we're going for. Like when I talk about all that hard work that you know me and Nate and Boggs and the rest of the team were doing, you know, and and how it was kind of stressful for a while. The reason we were all committed to that, the reason we all you know we 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 took that on is because. We really wanted to hit the ground running so that once the game released, then there would be this steady cadence of product coming out, you know, so that, mm-hmm. you know, people would always have the next thing to look forward to and, and never get bored. So I'm really glad to hear that, you know, you're enjoying um, the content that you're getting. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Uh, you got any other questions, Daniel? I know there's a well, few more I, on I our got, list, but. You got one from, from Wandering Took here. Okay. Um, and this could this could be your challenge question, Caleb. All right. Is there an encounter card, knowing what you know now, that you would redesign or revamp? How would you do it? Um, not for me, not yet. Okay. Uh, I, totally fair. With Lord of the Rings, like doing one of the Gen Con scenarios, the assault on Dol Guldur was like that one ended up being way too hard, and I felt bad about that. <laughs> In in testing, it was just going. Now so a villain hard. never admits that they feel too, yeah. that they feel bad. Yeah, okay. no, it's perfect. It's like people are just getting crushed, and I'm happy about it. Uh, you can't <laughs> let Dolkal do her fall. So, yeah. <laughs> right. that's like elves. your hangout. That's like your weekend getaway. Yeah, no, I just I just sympathize because it it is hard to to oh. juggle all the different feedback that you get because that that's why I I like having an external testing group. And also a local testing group, so that um, all the feedback I get from my external group, I can take and bring to my local group and play it with them, and I can sort of temper it. Also, I've been fortunate, for the most part, that I've been working at FFG. My external testers are people that I meet through the community, whether it's at Gen Con or Con of the Rings or or wherever, so that I get to know who they are and where they're coming from. It helps me to sort of translate their feedback. Sure. So if I have if I have someone like a Jeremy Zwern who's like a super advanced player, he's really really good at card games. He's like world champion for like five different LCGs or something. <laughs> and he starts telling me that a scenario is too easy. I'll be like, well, yeah, it's too easy for you. For you, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know. Um, whereas if it's you know someone else, you know that I might hear it a little differently. So. Okay. <laughs> to be fair to Jeremy, he's <laughs> he was a fantastic playtester before he started working at FFG, and since he's been at FFG, he's still been a huge help. So I don't mean to right. disparage him in any way. When he tells you it's too hard, then you're like, oh, oh, let me think about this then. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's exactly right. If he was to be like, holy smokes, this scenario, is good, <laughs> then I'd be like, okay, I've completely overdone it. Yeah, you know? we'll have to dial it back. Yeah. 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 Dolgal Dare was my first Gen Con, so I have nightmares still about that one. So, <laughs> Yeah, so the story with that was basically we just had the same playtest group coming week after week, the same dozen people. And so everybody was like fine-tuning their decks, and we've been playtesting together for years, so we all know each other and our playstyle. Basically, we're like the all-star team. You know, we're like the, right. the dream team. And so we're beating it and going, and they're saying, like, oh, I think it could be a little harder, you know? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, oh, no. No, I should not have said okay. <laughs> well, it is what it is. Hey, the bad guy's got to win sometimes. Sometimes. Ah. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the ultimate challenges. <laughs> yeah, it's still just a game, right? So. 
Except for me. Yeah, well, for us. For us. <laughs> We're not getting paid, so. Yeah, your work and your life is just fun and games. What, whatever, it's so, just a game. Yeah, whatever. Jeez. Wow, <laughs> oh, anyway, you put it like that, Caleb, now. Okay, so it is work for you. So I got one last question that this sort of ties into. Oh, this is good. This what good. part of your job would you most like to delegate to one of your little minions you know, it bores you, or it's too tedious for a villain of your caliber to have to worry about day in and day out. Oh, man. Okay. And you can't no, say photocopying because it's got to be more than that. No, to be honest, the whole cutting and sleeving part of making playtest decks, I enjoy that because I can just do that at my desk and I can listen to a podcast or something. Well, I can use those kindergarten skills that we all learn, you know? Right, right. No, I would probably say uh, writing the art briefs. I don't even know if that's true anymore. I don't know. Rules questions, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Is that part of your job? Like, you have to answer them, right? Yeah, okay, actually, yeah, so when you, go, when you go to fantasyflakegames.com and you go to the support page for Marvel Champions and you send in a rules question through the support page, that just goes directly to my email. And, <laughs> people figure this out over time because the reply comes from me, comes from my email. Right. Uh, and so I only say this like it's only half true. I actually really enjoy interacting with customers because by and large, we just have the greatest customer base. People are just so friendly and appreciative. But sometimes, you know, when you're when you're busy on a, on a project and you just you, you're trying to carve out that time to to let ideas gestate and because being creative, it's a tricky occupation because where do the ideas really come from? You know, like. Like what really, what inspires them? I, you know, it's, it's as much like art as it is science, right? And uh, you can get writer's block. You can, you can just spin your wheels in the mud and not feel like you're getting anywhere. And uh, for me, it always feels like I'm priming a pump. Like I just have to work at it for a while till the ideas actually start coming. And then just as I get into that groove, I'll get like a rules question. You know, like, ding, you know, like in my email. <laughs> Well, can't you send, sometimes I have to turn my email off. Yeah, I was going to say, can't you set them aside until four or something and like kind of end yeah, your day then with I, then rules? I feel bad what, ends up happening. what ends up happening, though, that I feel bad about is that, you know, I just always get busy with, with one thing or another. There's, there's meetings, there's all kinds of stuff that we have to do besides just sitting at our desk and, and coming up with cards. And then sometimes those emails end up sitting in a, in a folder for a while, and I realize by the time I get to answer them, it's been like, two weeks since this person asked me and now I feel real bad because they probably were hoping to find the answer like the next day so they could finish their game, you know? Or, or five minutes from now or, yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it, instant. It's, it's extra hard for me now that I'm, I'm working from home and uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, I don't, I don't have internet in the house like to, to do this, you know, I'm on my phone or I can create a hotspot with my phone but it's, the connection's kind of lame. So getting those questions is even that much harder now. I'm trying to catch up and realizing, like, oh, gosh, this question's from, like, the middle of March. I'm so sorry. And there's a lot of pressure on it, right? I mean, like, you answering a rules question, it becomes gospel truth, right? Me throwing well, a question at the board game geek or whatever is... That was actually a question that I got was, um, are answers from the rules questions official? <laughs> like, well... <laughs> and I thought... I, I don't know. <laughs> am I? If, if your name I is in the official? book, yeah. If your name is in the book for <laughs> developer, yeah, it's. I feels like it's official. 
I thought that was a really clever question, though, because what if I said yes, but they disagreed and they're like, well, no, they're not. So then your yes is not a fit. You know? <laughs> wow. Now we're doing like philosophy. All right. Every time I email that rules question thing, I just get a uh, looks like a form letter return that says, go read the rule book. <laughs> Moron. <laughs> <laughs> So every now and then I am tempted to say like this is in the rules, but instead the the polite way we do is we say uh, you know you can find the rule here on this page in this section. Right. Uh, and you have to be polite, don't you? I guess it's actually it's in my nature, so it's not yeah. like a huge chore. I I I I, <laughs> I like to think that I'm the same person <laughs> as I am talking to you now. You yeah. Know, as, yeah. I don't I don't like putting on airs. But but you're a villain, Caleb. Don't That's forget true. That. If I was, if I was evil, <laughs> don't lose sight of that. Like, figure it out yourself. <laughs> That's what the minions are for to send those answers. <laughs> you need more minions. No, the, no, nothing brings out the villain in me more than the person who writes back to my answer and says, "I think you're wrong, and here's why." <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have a good story for that or not? No. Well, first of okay. all, I wouldn't actually. I wouldn't ever want to. Like, you know, offend or embarrass the person who Right, no, as soon as I ask that, I was like, you can't answer that. <laughs> more it's just amusing to me because, like, in, in some cases, you know, usually they have, like, a valid point they're trying to make. Like, and, you know, it's possible, too, that, like, I will make a ruling now and then forget that I did a year from now and I might answer the same question <laughs> differently. <laughs> I really try hard not to do that, but it has happened. So it's possible that this person might have a legitimate reason. But the reason I laugh about it is because I'm like, I'm the designer. If I want to, I can change the rules to make my answer right. You know, like, <laughs> I, I can't be wrong. Update to the FAQ. Here we go. Here we go. Go right in there. Well, have there been questions that have come down the pipeline that made you think, oh, and then it didn't change a rule necessarily, but maybe made you think differently about car design in the future or something like that? Uh, let's see. That's a tricky Nuanced question, maybe for on the no, spot. No, it's not a bad question. It's not yeah. a bad question. I'm just trying to think. Like most of the questions that I've gotten so far, that I was like, "Huh, really?" Was more just like people asking really nuanced questions. Like, this is good. They're 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 reading the rules. They're studying it closely. You know, mm -hmm. these are people who are really invested. And then they're noticing things that like I hadn't noticed yet. So I might feel a little embarrassed about that. Like the most recent example, the question. I can always tell when there's a board game geek uh, debate raging somewhere is I'll get the same question four times all at once. Like, <laughs> people, I'm going to ask Caleb. The same question. I'll be like, all right, there's an argument happening somewhere. Uh, <laughs> well, i got to be careful how I answer this one because I'm going to upset some people. <laughs> yeah. um, but most recently it was, um, you know, you can request someone to make a hero action on your turn, like to play an event or trigger one of their abilities. Uh, but the rules like specify like on a card they control or like an event in their hand. Oh. But then, you know, there are hero actions on different like encounter cards, like particularly attachments. Right? Rhino's horn. Yeah. Right. Like you can spend resources to discard it. And so the question is, can can I ask my partner to trigger that hero action on an encounter card during my turn? Because the rules don't say that you can. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah, they don't. But totally, that's how we play it. Like, absolutely. I was gonna say you can, right? Yeah, yeah. We it just says action. So it's it's just a little oversight, though, because again, this is people who are actually reading the rules very closely. Because the players don't control the 
villain's attachment. Yeah, because it's not right. a card you control, and so technically, if you were to look at the rules, like real technically, you could make mm. a strong argument for why no, you can't. But of course, the intention, the All spirit right. of it is that you should be able to, and that's that's one of the nice things about working on living card games. We can update the rules, and it's kind of an expectation of this. This is a living document. It's going to change over time. It's going to grow. Right, right. Um, which is nice for the people that think to check the internet. Like again, we have a whole casual fan base that probably doesn't know my name and doesn't know that there is a internet, uh, you know, repository for these kind of questions. Sure. So it yeah. it kind of makes me feel like, gee, I, I wish we had that in the, the rules that came in the box so that they wouldn't have to answer that question. I could think of another one too recently, uh, like Repulsor Blast, right? That ruling got reversed. Yep, yep. See, that's typical Caleb right there. Yep. I mean, I'm reading that card strictly and it's like, you know, deal a damage, period full stop like you know do all this uh, additional damage whatever and uh and so i'm referencing the rules where it's like you resolve sentence by sentence you know and um then it, it kind of came up again and i you know then i think maybe box was all the office the day i answered that question because <laughs> I, I do like to i do like to always bounce these off of him and get his 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 take so it's his fault negligence so about it later and, and he was like <laughs> He's like, oh, is that? He goes, I would have ruled it differently. I, I would have said additional modifies the original value. And I was like, you know what? I, I like that better. I just was answering it based off of this part here. And he's like, mm. well, let's just update the rules reference then to clarify. Sounds good to me. And it makes thematic sense too, right? Repulsor Blast is one big beam. It's not yeah. two separate beams. So. <laughs> Nerd. <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> it just highlights the challenge of working on a on a card game where you're dealing with some really complex abstract ideas that start in my head or, or, you know, Michael Boggs's head and we have to translate what's in our head onto paper, you know, and then our audience has to be able to read what we wrote down and translate it into their head and, and come to the same conclusion. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's not always easy to do. Well, we appreciate all of your efforts to make it work like it does. Well, thank you. Cause this is a fantastic game, and it's a lot of fun to play. Well, that's ultimately what it's all about, so that's really good to hear. Right on. Is there anything, I think we're kind of coming to the end here, is there anything else you wanted to uh, tell our listeners or to say, Caleb, before we wrap this up? I'd just genuinely like to say thank you for playing the game and being so passionate about it. Uh, a lot of what motivates us at FFG is, is that excitement you know, and enthusiasm that we get from our customers, you know, when people are so excited about a game that they want to start a podcast or, or you know, debate about uh, interactions online. Like, there was a there was a thread on Facebook recently. Uh, I don't want to say the specific one, but I, I, you know, I noticed that there were just strong feelings on both sides, and and um, I just decided I'd like to I'd like to weigh in and basically say like I appreciate your your passion, whether it's whether it's a positive feedback or, or constructive criticism that you're offering us, like it's, it's a big deal that you feel strongly enough either way. You right. know what I mean? Like the, the fact that, that a, something that we made can inspire people to have that much um, passion, you know, uh, that they want to engage in those kind of debates. And that I just ask people to you know, be polite about it, you know. Um, but it really does mean a lot. Like, uh, Clearly, I don't do this for free. I need to support my family, but you know, it's not really the the paycheck that motivates you to, to you know make the best product every time. What, what really motivates us to do the best and always 
push ahead and, and discover new designs. And that is really because we hear how excited you guys are about the game and we want to surprise you and we want to hear how you feel about this next thing that we come up with. So I, I just go on about it a little bit so that people know I'm sincere and I'm not just like, oh, it's the company line. Say thank you to our fans. Like we really mean it. <laughs> yeah. All your uh, care shows and the nuance and the, the theme and how, you know, your responses and coming on our show, all this stuff. Um, just thanks so much. Thank you guys for, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on and for doing the show. I think I was pretty excited, just me personally, I was pretty excited to see that there was a show that was like dedicated to the encounter cards. Uh, I kind of wish there had been more of that for like Lord of the Rings because everyone likes to focus on the player cards because that your player deck is the part of the game that you own, right? That's what you right. feel you own. So it makes sense. But really, the for me, the heart of the game is is the scenarios. Like the, without the scenarios to play, your player deck doesn't mean anything. So it's it's cool to see uh, that you guys are delving into the encounter side of things. Um, it makes it stand out. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we're fascinated by that part of the design process. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun too. Yeah, hopefully you guys uh, find plenty to talk about with uh, with Rise of Red Skull. I think. All five of those scenarios are, are really distinct. I'm particularly proud of, of Red Skull. Do you Can't guys wait. see the spoiler? Yeah, the one yeah. from Czech where he gets like plus one attack for every side scheme. You want a, you want a little a little uh, a little blip about that? Yeah, hit us. Yeah, so there there was an idea I had in Lord of the Rings actually that I think I ended up using in Fire in the Night. Are you familiar with that scenario where there's the there's the side scheme deck? Yep. There's like a or sorry, the, the side quest deck. There's an encounter it's side quest. It's the dragon with all the side quests, right? Yep, yep. The yeah. dragon attacking the village. and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really liked how that played. I, I thought that was a lot of fun. And so I wanted to to uh, bring that idea to Marvel Champions. And I thought Red Skull was the, the perfect character because that's who he is, right? He's a schemer. He's he is, he is fit and he can fight. He definitely has the killer instinct. But what he's most renowned for is his you know, mental capacity for strategy and, and uh, you know, sort of wheels within wheels, kind of plots within plots. And so I, I, we gave him the, the, the side scheme deck. And so every turn you'll have to reveal a new side scheme. And so the, what I liked about that is there's always a side scheme in play on, on the player turn. because There's never going to be a turn without one. The, the real trick is trying to keep it down to just one. Obviously, you don't want <laughs> Right. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was thinking back to, like, Angmar Awake and stuff. I'm like, we're just going to have 20 side schemes out at some point, knowing Caleb. <laughs> so <laughs> That would get out of hand real fast. No, I think there's enough there to, to, to keep people engaged and present a real meaningful challenge. But that, yeah, that side scheme deck is a lot of fun. I think I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since I looked at it. But I'm pretty sure. I can't remember how many are in there. But what I want to say is that each one is unique, and that's part of what makes it so much fun to replay is once you're familiar with what's in there, you're like, oh, gosh, I hope we don't reveal that one now. You know, like, please yeah, that right. one, let, let that one be last, you know, or, you know. So every game you play will be so different just because the order they come up in will, will be so different. So, yeah, I, I think when you guys uh, get that box, uh, there'll be lots to talk about on this show. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I hope you know you're welcome to come back and talk about it with us at any time. Oh, thank you. So how do you get a hold of us, Steve? You can get a hold of us by emailing us at criticalencounterspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Critical Encounters or look us up on Discord as Vardane, Big Foam Loaf, and The Truth. 
And if you like our show, tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. <laughs> Caleb, take us out. I bore no animus to you, old friend, or your students, until you chose to oppose me. Then, I had no choice but to count you among my enemies.